Terry. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is episode 13, and we're going to talk about my Swiss cheese theory on trauma. I know it sounds silly, but I promise it'll make sense in a minute. I'm so glad that we're walking the path towards healing together. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. All right, let's dive in. In the last episode, we talked about different attachment styles, what they are, how they can happen, and just how much they can affect our ability to form relationships throughout our lives. Those attachments or lack of attachments to our caregivers as children really impacts how we find, create, and maintain relationships as adults. I mean, it makes sense, right? If we aren't able to depend on the adults in our lives to provide for us physically and emotionally and keep us safe, or if they hurt us, it's going to make a huge difference in how we see other people. We're afraid. We don't trust. We can be suspicious of other people's motives. We question what they want from us. Why do they want to get close to us? What are they after? They couldn't possibly like or want us based on who we are as a person. We can lack self-confidence and boundaries. So when others begin to try and form any kind of relationship with us, we're on guard. Our alert systems are up and warning us. Don't get me wrong. Lots of us crave that closeness, that connection. But we're scared to death of rejection, abandonment, and of having to deal with another loss when it doesn't work out. Those of us with a trauma history, especially if we had trauma in childhood, have many needs that weren't met by our caregivers. Maybe we weren't physically cared for. We didn't get enough to eat. We had to wear dirty clothes and other things. Emotionally, we might have been neglected. Our caregivers didn't respond when we needed them, when we needed love, comforting, reassurance, safety, and positive reinforcement. We didn't get it. Maybe we were physically, emotionally, or sexually abused by them. Without supportive, responsive, consistent, caring, safe people in our lives as children, we have so many different needs that weren't met. We have these huge gaping holes inside of us, and we carry those holes with us into adulthood. In order to explain trauma and its impacts, when I was teaching classes at a domestic violence shelter I worked at, I came up with an idea to explain it. Visualization, or creating a mental picture, is a great way to relate an idea, especially for those of us with trauma, and especially, again, for those of us with brain injury. So this is my Swiss cheese theory on trauma I mentioned. For those of us with traumatic histories, that trauma we experienced leaves us full of holes, like Swiss cheese. Those holes 
represent all of the things we didn't get and needed desperately. So throughout our lives, we are constantly looking for ways to fill up those holes. It doesn't matter if it's good for us or if it even makes sense. We grab onto whatever we can to make us feel better. It could be food, sex, relationships, drugs, alcohol, spending money we don't have. We could become workaholics. We could develop eating disorders, self-harm behaviors. We can become completely consumed by being caregivers, taking care of everyone else, and we can often get pulled into other people's drama. Remember I said the ways we find to fill those holes don't have to make sense or be good for us? We're reaching for whatever we can to fill up those holes, even if it's only temporary. When we do this, we are trying to fill ourselves up from the outside in, as opposed to filling ourselves up from the inside out. And that is the only way to make real and lasting change and fill those holes up for good. I'll say it again. The only way to make real lasting change and fill those holes up for good is to fill ourselves up from the inside out. It sucks. We have to do the work on ourselves in order to make changes that are real and will help us heal. In my life, I fill those holes with so much garbage. It really is garbage in, garbage out. As a teen, it was sex, drugs, alcohol, defying my parents, defying any system I was a part of. I went through relationship after relationship, eventually ending up with an extremely abusive man. I was set up to be sucked in by him. As I mentioned before, I was attracted to the bad boys, the partiers, the rebels, the lawbreakers. The darker and edgier, the better. I was attracted to his neediness and his drama. Later on in my life, I became a workaholic. My self-worth was defined by how long and how hard I worked, how much I did, and how much I took on. I had no self-identity. I had never really had the opportunity to find out just who I really was, what I liked or what I didn't like. I would take on new things, projects, or hobbies. I'd do them or try them for a short time, then just abandon them, never to start them again. I had absolutely no idea who I was myself, as opposed to being someone's employee, daughter, wife, or mother. I was unconsciously always looking for the next thing, the next anything I could use to fill those holes up, to try and feel whole somehow. I wasn't a very present parent. I didn't really know how. I knew that I set out never to be like my parents were, but I failed at that in lots of ways. I'm pretty sure that both of my children had a completely different experience of me as a mother. My intentions were good, but I'd never been exposed to what good parenting looked like. It hurts, but it's true. And if my daughter hears this, know that I'm sorry and that I understand that I wasn't the kind of mom that you needed. I love you so much and I can only be the person that I am now 
And if I could change the past, boy, would I. I spent my teen and adult years trying to outrun my past, but it always comes crashing down on you at some point. I went through dozens of therapists, counselors, support groups, and medications over the years. When I began learning about trauma-informed care, which is what happened to you, as opposed to what's wrong with you, my entire thought process changed. I began and still do to use what I was learning about trauma and applying it to myself. Filling myself up from the inside out has taken many different forms over the years. I've had to deal with lots of invalidation from others over the years as well. I've tried just getting over it, or I've tried just being positive. I've tried just be happy. I've tried believe in a higher power. I've tried positive affirmations. I feel like I've tried everything. And these things haven't worked for me. I'm sure they do for many. And if it's worked for you, that's fantastic. Typically, getting over trauma and building towards resiliency isn't like flipping on a switch or just bouncing back. It's not a destination, you know, somewhere you can say, hey, look, I'm here, I've arrived. And it's not just returning to normal. And it's not just something we can assume everyone can be. For those of us with trauma histories, we've created those well-worn neural pathways that create automatic responses and behaviors. It's not something we can just change or stop. Those grooves in our brains are deep and it takes action, practice and repetition to build new pathways in order to change things. I've learned to understand what my body and brain are telling me. When I tell people my brain is special, it is, and it's due to trauma impacts and brain injury. I give 100% every day, but sometimes 100% for me is 10% or less, and that's okay. I've learned to practice the pause, And what that looks like for me is stopping for a moment and thinking things through before I respond. And this could either be in a conversation or an email, or if I'm asked a question, any situation that requires a response from me. I used to just respond immediately to things, and sometimes it didn't work out too well. In a conversation, or if I'm asked a question, I may say, let me think about that and I'll get back to you or I'll just stop. I might say, hmm, pause, think it through, and then reply. And it's okay to do that. If I get an email, even an urgent one, I'll read it several times, think about what I want to say, craft a reply, make sure it says what I want it to say, and then when I'm satisfied, I send it. Again, perfectly okay. Take your time. Unless it's literally a life or death matter, take a moment and think things through before you respond. We may get the feeling something is that critical, but usually it's not. It's our brains lying to us again, coming into high alert mode and survival mode when we're really not in danger. Breathing exercises. 
Specifically, the mindful belly breathing that I walk us through before almost every exercise has been really important for me. Mindfully slowing down my breathing during the day when I need it really calms me down and helps me refocus. I've learned that body-based or somatic exercises work really, really well for me. And that's one of the reasons I use them often in the exercise portion of this podcast. Finding ways to connect myself to my body and surroundings has been really, really helpful and important. Something that I thought initially was really silly was tapping. And it's also been very helpful. I use an app called the Tapping Solution, which is guided short exercises where you tap on certain points and there's nine points while saying a short sentence out loud. I felt really weird trying it at first, but I found out that it really works. Knowledge was the first key, understanding that I wasn't a bad person or that I was wrong somehow for all of the things I did in my life in order to survive. I was behaving, responding, and reacting according to what I knew based on my trauma history and experiences. I mean, we don't know what we don't know. And while I know that sounds like a well, duh moment, it isn't really. Until we understand that what we've been through has changed our bodies and brains in a very real way, We can't even begin to know how to or what to do to make things better, to make ourselves and our lives better. But once we do, we can forgive ourselves and begin to release those things we carry that no longer serve us. Picture yourself holding a big bunch of balloons. Then as you let go of these things that no longer serve you, imagine releasing a balloon. Watch it float away higher and higher until it gets smaller and smaller and then it's gone. We can start by letting go of those heavy things, one balloon, one tiny baby step at a time. So this is where I like to close us out with a new exercise, something we can add to that mindfulness toolbox that we're building together. Remember, You don't have to do this now or at all if you don't want to, but you might just listen and tuck it away in your mind for future reference. As I mentioned tapping before, I thought it might be a good idea to introduce you to the idea of tapping. This exercise is going to be a bit longer than what we typically do, but I'm hopeful that you'll find it helpful. And hopefully I don't lose you somewhere along the way. Tapping is also known as EFT or emotional freedom techniques and combines the principles of modern psychology and Chinese acupressure. During a tapping session, you focus on whatever is causing you discomfort or distress while at the same time gently tapping with your fingers on a specific set of points on the body. Tapping on these points sends calming signals to the brain, and it lets it know that it's safe to relax. The very first point in any tapping sequence is the side of the hand, 
or karate chop point, and it's found along the fleshy, narrow side of the hand on the side of the pinky finger. It is found on both the left and right hands between the base of the pinky finger and the wrist. It is often referred to as the karate chop point because this is the part of the hand that you would use to deliver a karate chop. You can tap on either hand using the opposite hand to do the tapping. Try using several fingers from the opposite hand to tap on this point. The next is the eyebrow, and this is the point where your hair begins on the inner part of your eyebrow, right on the bone there. It's found on both sides of the body, on both the left and the right brow bone. You can tap on both sides at once, or pick just one side of the body, or alternate sides as you go along. Try using just a few fingers, like the index and middle fingers, to tap on this point. The next point is the side of the eye. So from the eyebrow point, follow that ridge of bone from your eyebrow down to the side of the eye to find this point. Note that the side of the eye point is not located in the indent that is your temple. You want to stay on top of the bone instead. You can tap on both sides at once or pick just one side of the body or alternate sides as you go along. Try using just a few fingers, like the index and middle fingers, to tap on this point. The next point is under the eye. From the side of the eye tapping point, follow that ridge of bone once again to come under your eye. This point is found directly under the eye, on either side of the body. You can tap on both sides at once, pick just one side of the body, or alternate sides as you go along. And again, try using just a few fingers like the index and middle fingers to tap on this point. The next point is under the nose. This point is found in the space between your nose and upper lip. As it is a small area, try using just a few fingers like the index and middle fingers to reach this point for tapping. The next is under the mouth also called the chin point. This point is found in the crease between your chin and bottom lip. And again, this is a small area, so try using just a few fingers, like the index and middle finger, to reach this point for tapping. Next is collarbone. Starting from where your collarbones meet in the center, at the base of that U-shape, go down one inch and out one inch to either side to get to the collarbone point. This tapping point is also found on both the left and right sides of the body. And you can tap with a few fingers on either side of the body to stimulate this point, or you could try taking your whole hand and tapping the entire hand across the place where a bow tie would lie. That allows you to easily stimulate this point on both sides at once, without having to worry about the exact location of the point. The next point is under the arm. This point is located on your side about four inches or one hand's width below the armpit. This is about where a bra strap would lie. It is found on both the left and right sides of your body, and the easiest way to stimulate this point 
is to use all of your fingers or your whole hand to tap on the side of the body under your arm. The last tapping point is the top of the head. This point is right on the center of the top of your head at the crown. Simply tap your hand or fingertips at the very top of your head to stimulate this tapping point. So now that we've gone over all nine of the different tapping points, if you'd like to try an exercise right now, we'll begin with a simple one to calm anxiety. So to start, think about and identify a problem on which you want to focus. It can be general anxiety, or it can be a specific situation or issue which causes you to feel anxious. Consider the problem or situation. How do you feel about it right now? Rate the intensity level of your anxiety on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being the lowest level of anxiety and 10 being the highest. Think of a setup statement. A setup statement should acknowledge the problem you want to deal with, then follow it with a phrase of acceptance. This helps neutralize judgments you have around how you feel and allows you to be more honest with your tapping. So some examples of a setup statement. Even though I feel this anxiety, I accept how I feel. Even though I'm anxious about my interview, I accept myself and how I feel. Even though I'm feeling this anxiety about my financial situation, I honor my feelings and give my body permission to relax. So we'll begin with four fingers on one hand. Begin tapping the karate chop point on your other hand. The karate chop point is the outer edge of the hand on the opposite side from the thumb. Repeat the setup statement three times aloud while simultaneously tapping the karate chop point. Now take a deep breath. Now tap about five to seven times each on the remaining eight points in the sequence. As you tap on each point, repeat a simple reminder phrase such as, my anxiety, or my interview, or my financial situation to help you mentally focus on your issue. From the side of your hand, move to the eyebrow point, where the eyebrows begin closest to the bridge of the nose. The next point is the side of eye, which is on the bone directly along the outside of either eye. Next, move to under the eye, which is on the bone directly under either eye. The next is under the nose, which is the area directly beneath the nose and above the upper lip. Next, move to the chin point. This is the area just below your bottom lip and above the chin right in the crease. The next is the collarbone point. Starting from where your collarbones meet in the center, go down an inch and out an inch on either side. 
The next is under the arm, which is on your side, about four inches beneath the armpit. Move to the top of the head, which is the point directly on the crown of your head. And take another deep breath. So again, as you move through these nine points, gently tapping five to seven times on each point and repeating your statement examples. And you could do another set of going through the tapping points, saying something like, I now release my anxiety. I feel calmer and more relaxed as you go through another set of tapping. And once you've completed the sequence, focus on your problem again. How intense is the anxiety now in comparison to a few minutes ago? Give it a rating on the same zero to 10 scale. Did you notice any shift? Take a little personal inventory. How do you feel? Did that anxiety that you felt lessen in any way? This might take some practice, and I'm going to put uh, a diagram of all the tapping points up on my website, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, and we'll go through more exercises as we move along in some future episodes. I hope these exercises are something that you found helpful, and it's, as I say, more tools to add that mindful toolbox that we're building together. So whenever you need to go to that toolbox, it's there. It's your resource. You have tools that you can use that are easy and relatable and that can really help ground you and calm you and relax you. And again, I'm adding all of these exercises onto my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com. And I'm putting all of the exercises to beautiful music and videos on my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma.com. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel if you like what you see in here. Thank you so, so much. And I can't thank you enough for the time that you take to listen to me. And it's so, so valuable the time that we spend together. And please keep on listening to my podcast, wherever you listen. Please like, subscribe, favorite, and follow me. And what you think is very important to me. So let me know what you think. Comment on the show. Comment on my YouTube videos. Whatever's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, on Twitter at Carrie Walker 58 and my websites, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com and EndDVNow.com. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcasts, music, and listening apps. Please take extra good care of yourself. And we'll talk soon.